I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. I knew you were going to do that. I love that quote. I love this movie. It is the most 80s movie of all 80s movies. I love it so. I was going to look up who said it backwards. I think it was in a show or a movie. I'm here to chew ass and kick gum. And I'm all out of gum. I. That is a joke from the... Duke Nukem Forever game, I think. Which, weird, but yeah, Duke Nukem 3D is why I know this movie existed. It's great. Ah. Yes. I just like sunglasses. Sunglasses are also cool. Yeah. So, welcome to the film club. I'm Dean. This is, uh... Miss Boo. Miss Boo. There you go. Uh, and every month we pick a new theme. We do a mini-series on it. Uh, this month we're doing the filmography of John Carpenter. And this week we are doing... They live. Yes, we are. This is the end of our John Carpenter month. This is the culmination of Carpenter's immaculate run of the 1980s. Yes. And, yeah, this movie's a banger. It, yeah. It's a great, great movie. It stars Rowdy Roddy Piper, Keith David, comes out in 1988. Yes. Yeah. We're rounding up the 80s, just mm. like we're rounding up this you know, month of John Carpenter. Yep. And we're just going to talk about buff Roddy Roddy Piper. Yeah, not like, you know, a uh, Herculean physique, like a like a rock or an old Schwarzenegger, but, but a buff dude. This is a movie about dudes doing, like, dude stuff. Like rolling around in an alley. And beating each other up. Which, that's because, because he won't put the sunglasses on. They have a... a I, I wanted to time it, but it has to be, like, Five ten minutes. Of I them. felt tired by the time this fight was over. I know it keeps going. They have a break halfway through to like catch their breath, and then they just go back to fighting each other. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that's how I kind of felt. You know, I feel like when I'm trying to get you to use hand sanitizer, I feel like this is kind of the fight. You know, me trying to grab your hand, and you're like, no, no, no. I, oh God, your obsession with hand sanitizing everything. I mean, I like my hands to be clean when we're out and about. You wash your hands five times a day. More. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, yeah, so we're talking about They Live. This is the the final movie of, of the run. I think it's pretty known by now that John Carpenter had the best 80s of any director. Yeah. It's like ten movies, each from like Assault on Precinct 13 all the way to They Live. It's like ten or twelve movies. And each and every one of them is good to a masterpiece. Like, Assault and Precinct 13 follows that up Halloween, follows that up with The Fog, follows that up with the with Escape from New York, then The Thing, star, like Christine, Starman. It's it's solid. It's solid across the board. And you didn't want to talk about The Fog. I We're going to get to The Fog, because... I guess a hint, probably <clears throat> probably next year or, or some month, like whenever we get the feeling, I want to do the other half of the John Carpenter run. The movies we've missed and haven't done on the podcast, and the few of his 90s that are good. I think there's, there's like one one or two good ones after they live. I, I swear, officer. But um, I mean, I'm down. Yeah. I love John Carpenter. Me too. Like the guy, I think he is probably... One of the best filmmakers to come out of this era of filmmaking. Like, that post-New Hollywood, but pre-independent like cinema boom of the 1990s. With, yeah. like, Tarantino, Kevin Smith, where all those guys came out of. But, uh, yeah, so, I'm excited. Me too. Anytime we get to talk about John Carpenter, I will be very, very happy. But, let's talk about it. Yes, let's do. Uh, do you want the... I guess the context, like, how we got here to They Live? Sure. Okay, so, last week we did Starman. That was his run at doing a non-Carpenter film. And broke us in half. My God. Just thinking about that movie, I was just like... <sighs> it's so, so many feels. It's so cute. It's got drama. It's got comedy. And it's really romantic. It's a really nice movie. Yeah. And Starman comes out... It's not a box office sensation, but it makes enough money to where they're like, okay, we can make it, we can make everything else back on TV. And the other end of that was, it was a crit critical success. Yeah. It's 
Jeff Bridges nominated for an Oscar, the only film in Carpenter's canon that's nominated for any Oscar. And, you know, all the critics loved it. For the first time since Halloween, all the critics came to a consensus that Starman was a good movie. And so Carpenter saying, look, I made Christine, which was a box office hit. Mm -hmm. I made Starman, that was a critical hit. I want to make one for me. I'm going to push all my chips in again, just like The Thing. He's like, I want to make my my movie. And he makes Big Trouble in Little China. Your all-time favorite. Uh, I love that movie. It, it's probably in my top, like, 15, 20 favorite movies of all time. I can put that movie on at any point and enjoy it. That It is the most entertaining movie of all time, and it's the best movie ever made while you're watching it. It's it's great. I know Porkchop. Porkchop and Spress, your old pal Jack Burton. But he makes Big Trouble in Little China. It bombs. Yeah. It comes out, it is, like, decades ahead of its time. Like, if you look at Big Trouble in Little China, Kurt Russell would fit in perfectly as Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy, like, 20 yeah. years later. Yeah. Like, Chris Pratt's basically just doing a Kurt Russell riff through all of his career. And then, you know, he comes in as Star-Lord's dad, which, you know, ego, which makes total sense. Do you know about that? Okay, Kurt Russell... He had never seen any of the Marvel movies, but they wanted him to yeah. you know, be in you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's like, all right, fine. I'll, I haven't really seen him. I'll watch the Guardians movie. And he watched it, and he's like, oh, this guy, he's just doing what I was doing in the 80s. This is, he's doing the exact same thing. Yeah. He's a guy that looks like a movie star, looks like a leading man, but he's a buffoon. And that's a big from Little China. Mm -hmm. So it being ahead of the curve and all this other stuff means people at the time fucking hated it. Gets shelved. Done. Carpenter throws up his hands. He says, you know what? I've been burned by Hollywood one too many times. I'm going to go back to make independent movies with blackjack and hookers and, you know, whatever. And cool sunglasses. And cool sunglasses. But the first movie he makes with um, Alive Films, that's the production company, mm -hmm. uh, he makes Prince of Darkness, which is the second part of his Apocalypse trilogy. It's like his unofficial like movie trilogy with a thing and Mouth of Madness. Mm-hmm. And that one's like, oh, that it makes money. $3 million budget makes like $15 million. Like, oh, okay, that, that's good. Because Carpenter had a, a contract with them. He can come in with a one-sentence synopsis, and they will greenlight anything he has. But the issue, it has to be cheap as hell. $3 million, and that's pretty much it. So he's like, well, maybe we'll make one more. And this one's going to be a scathing critique of the Reagan administration. Reaganomics. Yep. And makes They Live, which brings us here. Yeah. The only reason we didn't do Prince of Darkness is because, like, we have to do They Live, right? Yeah. It's, it is the most iconic. It is. It's a movie we've both seen before because Prince of Darkness, that was going to be another movie we've never seen. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's kind of hard to do, you know, his run. And, and not do the actual end and, like, his... Is this his number one most iconic movie? It's, like, this and Halloween are, like, neck and neck, right? Because Halloween's the big... The Thing, and... The Fog... No, he has iconic movies. But, I mean, like, if, if I showed somebody a still frame of Rowdy Roddy Piper with the sunglasses and the shotgun, like, everyone's gonna get that. Or the Obey thing. Everyone's yeah. gonna get that. Yeah, I suppose. I mean... That was also really, you know, popular in high school. You know, when we got, like, the Banksy and the Obey on everything. Yeah. So it was, like, a lot of people were like, oh, this just looks cool. And it's like, no, this is John Carpenter. Yeah. It's like, which is also cool, but it's like, you know, you're not understanding the reference. Yeah. That's a thing about this movie. Because I don't know if this movie ever went away. Because I feel like I used to see no. this on TV a lot. Like, it, because this one... Like, a lot of John Carpenter movies. It made money. It wasn't a big critical hit. Which, yeah. I feel like the critics just don't understand John Carpenter. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, magnificent movies that are out there that get snubbed by the critics. And it's just like, no, this is a fantastic movie. I think you're just, you know, a little full of yourself or you're a little into the job that you can't really let yourself enjoy these movies or really take them in. Well, the problem with that is I almost feel like they just didn't get it. Because, again, they, I have a couple of people um, 
I believe it was Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. It might, if I believe it was them. They were like, oh, John Carpenter making another genre effects action movie with no depth. It doesn't, it's, it's not saying anything. It's just trying to get you to buy popcorn. And I'm like, no, they're, they watch the movie. That's why I feel like, you know, they must've just kind of like, okay, we got our screener. Okay. Put it in. And I'm going to, you know, work on a couple of other things while I'm watching this because there is so much depth and substance to this movie. Where I had to put the phone down to make sure that I could, you know, completely focus on this and, you know, absorb everything because there's a lot going on versus, you know, oh, okay, he's out there fighting these weird alien creatures. That's not even till, you know, the middle, maybe past the middle of this film that we actually get, you know, a lot of the action. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is him discovering this world and trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and it is a really compelling, like the first half of this movie is great. It is super compelling. We have Rowdy Rowdy Piper playing John Nada. And, um, you know, I'm just going to give everybody the quick, like, synopsis thing. The, the back it. of the box real yes. quick. So, uh, the synopsis. Everyday drifter John Nada comes into contact with a secret alien invasion when he discovers a pair of sunglasses that allow him to see who really rules the world. He teams up with fellow down-on-his-luck drifter Frank and goes on a violent revolt to stop the invasion, reveal the truth, and save the day. Or die trying. That's that's like the back-of-the-box synopsis. I'm ah. sorry. That just reminded me of that church that we drove past in Burbank this past weekend. Yes, yeah. Get Busy or Die. That was <laughs> no, an Obey no. movie. No, no, it wasn't Get Busy. We were driving past this church, and they had the sign out in front of the church. Uh, you know, like, you know, mass starts at like seven, that kind of sign. Or it's like a Bible quote or something. Yeah, you know, a verse or something. And I just happened to look and it says, get rich or die trying. And I was just like, whoa, like middle school me was just like, oh my God, 50 cent is on this side. I can't believe it. But yeah, it was, you know, total kind of like foreshadowing us going into this, you know, movie because it's everywhere. And I'd forgotten a lot of the signs that, you know, are showed throughout the movie because mm -hmm. it's, you know, obviously the iconic one is the obey sign. Obey, submit, this is your God that's written on yeah. your money. Watch TV. Um, Sleep. Marry and procreate. And it was just like, oh, yeah, it's like I forgot that there was a lot of good symbolism that they used. And it was just like, you know, yeah, obviously, if you're, you know, asleep like they want you to be. Of course, you're going to conform to all these things that they want you to do versus mm -hmm. being awake. And, you know, no, I'm going to think for myself. I'm not going to have you think for me. Yeah, that that's the thing about this movie, which is why I feel like I don't know if critics just didn't get it or they couldn't see the forest through the trees is the or, whole movie's a takedown on consumerism, takedown on uh, the capitalism, takedown on the rampant excess in the 1980s everyone's conforming and everyone's just they're losing all individuality because they all want to be the rich yuppie with the five thousand dollar suit the four hundred thousand dollar rolex and the fancy car the big house it's all yeah i mean it's, it's the a, same thing you know crazy. that we're still dealing with today where everyone wants to be rich and famous and successful everyone wants to sell out everyone wants the sponsorship yes which, you know... You know, if anyone wants to sponsor us, I mean... I mean, we're really willing to sell out over here. Please. Not completely, but, you know, yeah, something. I'll little, sell out a little bit. Yeah, you know, a little bit of help. Uh, oh, God, that's... Have you seen this? It's like a trend on YouTube and TikTok where these teenagers pretend they're sponsored and they'll like oh, plug yeah. products that they're not sponsored by oh no it's not just teenagers there's a, a reality show i'm not going to name it that i watch and one of the people on there that has you know since been fired he got in trouble because he was posting these paid sponsorship posts on his instagram and the companies were like no we never paid you we never agreed to do this with you you got to take this down and it's just like yeah, you know, I, I get what you're trying to do. You're trying to put, you know, a little bit more money in your pocket, take care of your family, but it's not worth all the legal drama. Well, the other thing is he's plugging stuff, but he's not getting paid for mm -mm. it. It's almost like a status thing. Like that, that's the thing about this. Because this comes out in 88, yeah. and you remember the whole thing in the 60s and 70s was 
conformity was death, you know, don't trust anyone over 30, and then, like, Reagan gets elected, and well, everyone's like, oh, I guess, I guess we sold out, I guess Well, I, I think you mean, I remember from history class, yes, because history I'm, class. because we're not, you we're know, that old. We're not even close old. to being in that No, old. Oh, no, yeah. so, no, I don't remember that firsthand, but yeah, I, I get what you're throwing out there. I mean, that was the whole thing that Carpenter, Carpenter has said this ever since the movie came out, was this was his, his battle cry, his just just primal scream against Reaganomics. He hated the fact that Ronald Reagan had basically turned America into this, like, shallow corporate America. We weren't run by politicians, we were run by corporations. And, yeah, that's kind of the same thing now. Yeah. You know, our lives are controlled by, you know, Google, Microsoft, Apple. Not a politics podcast, by the way. Just stating what's in the movie. And it's not trying to be subtle. It's really no. open with it. No, it's like right smack in your face. Yeah, like he looks up at a, at the president making a speech, and he's like, "Huh, figures." And mm-hmm. yeah, alien, your president's an alien. Yeah, totally looking to try and turn the world into this third world country over resources. Like, oh, of course, yeah. It's not trying to be subtle at all. No. So you know, I think maybe with the critics, it could just be a thing where they were stacked. You know, with movies they had to watch, and this is, you know, a different time versus, you know, where you could, like, bring your laptop with you. It's a little bit more accessible to get things done versus back then where it's like, okay, well, I gotta take notes, and then I gotta go to, you know, this next screening, and maybe that's how this kind of slipped through the cracks, or people didn't really comprehend. It's every critic says this. Uh. Every critic. It's the thing where I really feel like at the time... They couldn't see the, the you know, the forest through the trees. They were like, we are in this corporate America. And then he's making this alien invasion movie. And it's like, well, okay. There's a quote that John Carpenter, like, a story he likes telling about when he's pitching the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it really encapsulates the time that this comes out and really gets the point of this movie across. So John Carpenter, he goes and pitches the movie to Universal. Yeah. Because Alive Films, they are a small production company, but Universal owns them and distributes all their movies. So he's pitching this to one of the executives at Universal, (laughs) and the executive is like, that's not scary. He's like, what do you mean? You know, these Mm -hmm. people are, you know, buying and selling Mm -hmm. our souls, basically, you know? And he's like, and the executive is like, I don't get, I don't get it. We all sell out every day. Don't you want to have a part of it? And John Carpenter says, after I heard that, I put it into the movie because it terrified. summed it up. <laughs> yeah, well, because that's because that's the thing. At the time, you, you know, you got to remember, you know, basic when people voted Reagan in, they were like, "Well, now at least we're gonna try and get our our piece of the pie," kind of thing. And it basically threw all the '70s out the window, threw all the '60s out, threw the revolution out the window. They went back to all American Ronald Reagan and his little cowboy hat. And I mean, it was a actor. cute little cowboy hat. Eh, he was a charming guy. One of these days, we're going to have to do the shitty, like, Ronald Reagan comedies from the 50s. And we're just going to be talking about how handsome he was. Because that man is handsome. <laughs> young Ronald Reagan? Oh, yeah. Is young Ronald Reagan good looking? Oh, yeah. Really? Even older, you know, distinguished. I'm like, okay, you're good looking. <laughs> you're just like, up until the dementia, he probably could have got it. No, it would have to be young 50s, you know. That TV movie with James Dean, yeah. Oh, oh God, he was in a movie yeah, with James Dean? Yeah, he was. Like an after-school special kind of movie. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, does, does Ronald Reagan play James Dean's dad? And he's like, come here, son. Let me tell you about the old American way. And James Dean is like, no, Dad. God. I just want James Dean to be the original emo boy. I want to have the fringe going on. The kid and life is a night. You can have to sing it loud if you want the people to hear that. Oh, but that's, that's, oh my god, that's glorious. Oh yeah, I thought you knew that, that they had done a, just like a small, like, kind of special movie together. I don't even know what they're called, like after school special or... PSA. PSA movie, like something like that, yeah. Well, I, I just knew he did a movie with like a chimp. I knew that was like his, his big movie. He did it with like a, a chimpanzee and it was like a bringing up baby riff. That's all I know about it, but... That I don't know. I know that there's a movie with Cary Grant and Marilyn Monroe where they 
I think there's a chimp or there's chimps in the movie because Cary Grant's like a a scientist and there's like a serum and him and the chimp like they kind of like switch brains so the chimp's able to talk and Cary Grant is just like going nuts and Marilyn has to like wrangle him in. There's a lot of good movies from the 50s we need to review. Well the problem is there's well there's a lot of Good mo- quote unquote good movies. Yeah, I'm movies like they can't the see you through the I, <laughs> the I, microphone. I realize this. There's a lot of quote unquote good movies of the fifties, but there's a lot more just ridiculous movies that make no sense, but they are fascinatingly bad. Like they are like, you were able to make this? Somebody gave you money for this movie? It is That's it is, even today. It's like well, it's it's different today because like now it's like oh well, we'll just put it on streaming. We'll make the money back on residuals. Just play forever. Back then it was like we'll play it for three weeks at a drive-in in Tulsa, and that'll make us just fifteen dollars over budget. But it'll be over budget, and I'm like, what the fuck are you making? It's like Plan Nine from Outer Space. I'm like, I'm like I don't know how Ed Wood got money for that movie. It's Ed Wood though. <sighs> God. So, but yeah, so, uh, they live. Um, so yeah, that's like John Carpenter's entire crux of the movie is that it's his cry against Reaganomics. It's his cry against the era. He's basically, his entire career has been wrapped up in this very corporatized medium, you know, like Hollywood became a studio town again after the Mm -hmm. seventies. So he's like, this is his, you know, kind of like big middle finger to America. And huh, I see where you're going there. Exactly. And for this big middle finger to America, he casts not an actor, but a professional wrestler in Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yes. Yes. We love some Rowdy Roddy Piper. He's really good in this movie. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where he's not he's not a great actor. He's not like he's not, you know, going to do Othello or anything like that. But for the role in this movie, he is pitch perfect. Yeah. He is great in this. Like, there's... And this is his first movie. Like, he'd done wrestling for decades at that point. But, my God, there's a monologue in here where I'm like, oh, oh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, you're emoting now? My God, this Oscar clip, boys. Oscar clip. Are you okay? You look like you're clutching your pearls over there. He's... he's I su- do declare. Woo, he is... That su- Rowdy Roddy... Pr- he is surprisingly good. He is, yeah. Because, like, you got to think, 1988, who are the other pro wrestlers trying to act right now? It's fucking Hulk Hogan, yeah. Macho Man, like, all the other wrestlers trying to be actors are fucking awful. Yeah. He sounds so sad. Did, did you like Suburban Commando? Santa with muscles, did you like those ones? No, I liked, um... Macho Man in uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got you in the cage for seven minutes! It's for three minutes. I don't know. I mean, just looking at the two of them, like, it's gonna feel like an eternity. Yeah, and that's the thing. They bring Macho Man in to play a pro wrestler for a cameo. Rowdy Roddy Piper is playing a character in the he's the lead role of a John Carpenter film. He's I'm... hanging his whole... John Carpenter's hanging the movie on this guy. I mean, this is my second time seeing the movie. So a lot of, you know, there's still a lot of open pockets of things that I had forgotten. And I was still waiting for him to cut a promo. I was kind of hopeful. I'm like, oh, he's cutting promos all over the place. I'm like, let's get, you know, a promo, you know, let's, you know, get some fireworks. Really make it feel like we're, you know, at a, a match. Yeah, I mean, when he says, you know, looks like you stepped in the cheese dip in 1957. That was pretty great. Yeah, it's like. Man, you're you're so ugly. The backside of a dog would be more appealing to kiss. Like they, he's throwing some bangers out there, and this this is the thing. Roddy Roddy Piper, he's actually like acting kind of thing. Yeah, because you know, like The Rock now, who's like he's a superstar. He's a superstar, but like he's playing The Rock in every movie for the most part. Like he's sometimes he's sad Rock, sometimes he's serious Rock, but he's The Rock. He's not playing Othello anytime soon. Or he's just playing my favorite rock because I've loved the rock since... A small child. Yes, yes since the WWF days. Oh, back back in the glory days. Oh, yes. Back in the all or nothing days. The reason why I know how to arch my eyebrow. 
Yes, we know. I'm so proud. But, Thank you, Rock. <laughs> but that's the. But that's just something interesting because what do you what do you think of Roddy Piper in the movie? Great set of hair. That that '80s mullet. Oh my god! That thing needs like a slow mo montage of just his hair, you know, floating in the air. What are you even talking about? He's an attractive man. But also, you know, I'm kind of used to, like, WWE, Rowdy Roddy Piper, you know, in the later years. So seeing him be, like, this mountain of a man, it's just like, oh my god, you know, you're huge. I I wanted to bring that up because he doesn't look like a normal movie star or a normal leading man of this era or now. No. Because he's... Big, he's in shape, but he's not, like, so ridiculous that, oh, like, that's impossible. He's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's not The Rock. He doesn't look like, oh, you have the body of somebody who all I do is eat chicken and work out. Yeah. He looks like somebody, oh, you got big, like, working. Mm -hmm. And he has a face that's, like, yeah, he's a handsome, like, good-looking guy, but he's not pretty. He doesn't look like Ryan Gosling or Jake Gyllenhaal where it's like, oh, those are pretty men, you know. Very pretty. Yeah, they're, yeah, you're like, oh, he's so pretty. But he's, his face, his has like scars on it. You can see he's like a little roughed up. Yeah, it's convincing of his character. I'm like, I could believe that you're just, you know, down on your luck and yeah, you know, I could work in this construction yard. You know, I've done this, I've done that. It's very believable that he could be just an everyday kind of guy. Yeah, and I think the thing that John Carpenter saw in him is he felt real. Because um, Roddy Roddy Piper, he he did an interview uh, during the making of the movie where they asked him, he's like, so how do you feel about your character? And he's like, eh, me and John Nodder are basically the same guy. He's like, oh, I ran away when I was like 13. I started being a professional fighter at 15. He's like, I've been stabbed three times. I've been, uh, I broke my back. I broke my pelvis. He's like, I've worked um, every day for like five years in like a very high impact profession. Like he's, you know, he's talking about his life and it's like, yeah, you are the guy who's just lived the roughest life who just keeps on keeping on because that's just who you are. Yeah. And that paired up with the fact that John Carpenter looks at him and cause John Carpenter meets him at uh WrestleMania three. Oh yeah. That, another fact, John Carpenter, huge wrestling fan. He's at WrestleMania three. He meets Alice Cooper, who he convinces to help him do Prince of darkness. Okay. And he meets Rowdy Roddy Piper. And he's like, Oh, this guy's perfect for the other, for my other movie. They live. Mm hmm. And he's like, he talks to Roddy Roddy Piper for, I don't know, a little bit. And he's like, this guy is so fucking tough. He looks and he carries himself like a guy you can hit with a truck and he keep, and he keep on going. Yeah, I just get up, you know, brush himself off and, all right, you want me to fight the truck? Next, I'll fight the truck. He is so convincing that when he gets thrown out of a three-story building down a hill <laughs> and crawls his ass back to downtown LA from the Beverly Hills, I'm like, he can do it. He, yeah, he's fine. He's, he's, he can keep going going. I mean, he's also convincing of, like, you know, I'm in physical pain. I was just like, you know, there's a ton, tons of action movies where people are thrown, hit by cars, ridiculous things, and they get up and they kind of brush themselves off and they walk away. It's like, you are so good at acting and you may have also hurt yourself in that scene because it's just so convincing of, you know, you just threw me out of a window and down a hillside. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's that one was a stunt. They had a stunt double do the jump, but when he's rolling down the hill, I'm pretty sure that's Piper. the The one that's all him is the fight between him oh, yeah. and uh, Keith David's character, Frank. Yeah, which... I mean, we watched that. Uh, what was it? Um, Robert Rodriguez's like, um, like his internet show that he had oh, where he was yeah. with directors. It's uh, I think it's called the Director's Chair. I think it's on the El Rey Network. He interviews directors. He's or done YouTube. it with or YouTube. Yeah, he interviews directors. He did. He's done Gamble del Toro, Quentin Tarantino, uh, and he did one with John Carpenter, because Robert Rodriguez has wanted to make Escape from New York since he started making movies. Yeah, and they're talking about the fight scene, and it doesn't give it justice in a clip show because the fight is like again ten minutes long. Yeah, and when we watched it for the movie. He, they are going for it. 
and I love it because it's like it's Roddy Roddy Piper and Keith David just choreographed the whole fight by themselves. Yeah. And I want to talk about Keith David real quick because Keith David, we haven't seen him since the thing, and he is phenomenal. He is yes. so good in this movie. He is he is super believable. He he's can play, funny. He's funny he's funny as hell he plays no nonsense he's like you are a fucking crazy person i don't want none of business and he seems like the person when they get into the fight in the alley i'm like yeah yeah this is gonna be a good one because keith david's fucking huge i know oh, yeah i didn't realize this watching the thing because he's you know a, a more like thin kind of guy mm -hmm. in the thing but in this i'm like bro like you he you, bulked up you fighting heavyweight like and it it's great because he's also like a Juilliard trained actor mm -hmm. and all these these other things. And I think when John Carpenter was writing it, he wrote the character of Frank specifically for Keith David. Definitely. Because it it's, fits so clean. But like I was saying about that documentary, he talks about the script. And he said that there was at least four or five pages where it just said fight. That that was it. And they just kept fight, going and going. Fight fight continues yeah and it, it was just like yeah i'm just gonna hand it off to them and they'll figure it out you know you know rowdy roddy he's used to this he can choreograph um keith david just some okay you know well give me some ideas and we'll well keith david he had like boxing training yeah he had like amateur boxing training he did like dance and movement training at juilliard so he wasn't a stranger to like choreography and moving his body and working and rowdy rowdy piper he'd been a wrestler for like decades at that mm -hmm. point so it's one of these things where you know them and the stunt coordinator piper's working down to meet keith to meet keith david keith david's working up to meet piper yeah. and it works so well because the fight it's so fucking simple rowdy rowdy piper wants frank to put on the glasses mm -hmm. and and um, Keith For David is like, no, you're fucking crazy. And they just brawl and it keeps going. And it's a fight that you feel these guys taking the beating. Mm -hmm. I have not seen a fight like this, like this good since, um, like, cause you know how you watch like action movies yeah. now, usually they're like really over choreographed or there's a lot of CG going mm -hmm. on. Or they're like, you know, oh, we're getting like two great martial artists, Jackie Chan, J Jet Li. We're going to have them th throw. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, it's really impressive. Yeah. But I don't feel like they're hurting each other. I don't I don't feel like this is a brawl or a fight. They're not slugging it out. It, it's, it's art. It, it, it's fight, you know, art, basically. I mean, just seeing, you know, oh, okay, I've never seen that move before. Look at him kind of, you know glide through the air you know look at this cool hit this one it's like no you feel it you feel like you're in that alley with them just taking hit after hit getting thrown into the concrete i mean let alone seeing the back of frank's head after uh after john is just hitting his head into the cement and it's just like it's that... just exposed you know skin and possible bone i'm like oh that big bloody gunk on the back of his head and the the fucking wound effects afterwards yeah where they carry that for like the next couple of scenes or like the rest of the movie it is so good like the they look like they got into a fight and it's awesome and it's over something so petty as please put these sunglasses on i mean let alone they even threw in like a dude moment in there when uh when john breaks the back of frank's uh the window in the back of his car yeah. His, his rear window. And he's like, oh, man. I'll... He's like... He, and he's he... laughing, too. He's like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to break your window. Well, well no, and... the thing is, like, the fight starts escalating. <laughs> and then Roddy Roddy Piper's, like, swings the, the board and he's like, smashes. He's like, oh, I was about to really hurt you, man. I'm sorry. I didn't mean I was going to really hurt you. And mm. then Frank is like, oh, it's on. It smashes a bottle. And the bottle just disintegrates mm -hmm. in his hand. Like, I love that. Like, the and the best is, like, oh... Frank finally gets the upper hand. He goes and like, oh, Roddy Roddy Piper's on the floor. He's hurting. And he, Frank goes off and like catches his breath. And you're like, oh, so that's the end of the fight. And then Roddy Roddy Piper walks in out of frame and just keeps going. Yeah. You got five minutes, boys. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. It just, it just keeps going and going to the, it goes from being, 
oh, this is a serious fight, to it's it's parody, and it's so funny. I was ready to lay on the floor after that fight, be like, you know what, I need to take a breather too, because, man, they just put me through the ringer with this fight. Oh, so good, so good. And then he finally puts the glasses on. And then, and then he's like, I guess I'm in. I guess I, that's it. I'm in. <sighs> it's not even, you know, <sighs> yeah, maybe I should have put the glasses on like 10 minutes ago. Speaking of putting mm. the glasses on 10 minutes ago, can we talk about the first time Piper puts the glasses on? Yeah, I think that's kind of important. Because it's like the best directed scene John Carpenter's ever done. Well, or... I mean, without him putting the glasses on, we wouldn't have a movie. We also wouldn't have a fight. Yeah. So he puts the glasses on. Uh, oh, come on. He just puts the glasses on. When he puts it on, he's like confused, takes them off. And then it's that switch between color and black and white and like the the effects coming in where you have to have a body double jump in to play the guy with the mat with the uh, alien makeup on. And that was also something we picked up from Robert Rodriguez's uh, documentary with, or not documentary, uh, but his, interview. his interview with John Carpenter, where, you know, all the times that we saw the aliens, it was only one person that was portraying the alien. It wasn't multiple people. I guess it was just a thing where it might have been too expensive to, like, reproduce those masks for the movie. But the person that was in the costume, it's just, it was a thing where it fit him just perfectly. And I was like, well, yeah, we'll just, you know, dress him up as a woman for this scene. We'll double him if he needs to be like a couple, which was kind of cool if he could be, you know, well, I was, you know, the alien that was all these characters in this movie. Well, what it was, it was the stunt coordinator. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the same stunt coordinator he had on um, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm -hmm. He brought him over for They Live. And John Carpenter realized, he's like, you're on set every day anyway. I don't need to pay another actor to wear this. Like, why would that matter? Like, you fit the makeup. Like, just put it on and we'll just use you the whole time. Because John Carpenter is great with making a ham sandwich budget look like a blockbuster. And you love ham sandwiches. Ham sandwiches are great. Ham yeah, sandwich, so... a little bit of mustard, put some Miracle Whip on there, get some nice um, pepper jack cheese. Sorry, you lost me at oh. the Miracle Whip. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's smart, you know, just to kind of cut corners, save some money. And, I mean, the flex for that, you know, stunt coordinator, where it's just like, yo, all those people, that was me. It's it's wonderful. It is wonderful. This movie is wonderful. Uh, but, um... So what was your what was your top scene of the movie watching it? Oh, it's probably gonna be that first scene where he's just walking through downtown. Oh, and that desolation of everything, like the the opening of the movie, right? No, no, when he puts the glasses on for the first time, and because I mean, you know, yeah, you know that you know opening scene where he's got basically everything that he owns on his back, and he's just kind of you know wandered in and trying to figure you know. Where am I going to work? Where am I going to eat? Yeah, that's important. But him putting on the glasses for the first time and just walking around and seeing magazines, seeing the billboards, and just seeing how, you know, oh, without them, everything is beautiful. It's kind of like a reverse uh, Wizard of Oz, Mm. where, you know, we go in from sepia to color. And this movie, it's like, no, we're going to go backwards and we're going to make the world look very drab and dry and kind of sad. We're going to see the, the truth. Yeah. Truth is out there, man. Exactly. I I think that is the best scene. One of the best scenes in the movie. My, my personal favorite, it's um, when... It's right after the fight scene when um, Keith David and Roddy Piper, they go to the hotel to like figure out their game plan. Mm-hmm. And Piper gives this monologue about his past and like how downtrodden, how beat down he's been by life. Mm -hmm. And I think that is his best performance in the movie and probably his best performance in his career, his best moment, Mm -hmm. because it's like in that moment, I'm like, Oh, I completely understand why you are who you are, why you feel this is not just like a danger because they're invading, but a betrayal of the American dream you were sold on. Yeah. And it's, it is a perfectly done performance in that moment. It is wonderful. But, you know, and then the second half of the movie. Yeah, I mean. 
Okay. Uh, that's, well, is that the elephant in the room? Yeah, because, I mean, the first half is just like, holy crap, you know, who can you trust? And then... Banger moment, banger moment, banger moment. Yeah, especially when you see him spending more and more time with the glasses on, and then you see, you know, the hardworking people, like, you know, the guy that's selling the magazines, um, when they walk into the hotel that's basically kind of there for, like, the homeless, mm-hmm. and seeing all the homeless people, and, you know, they're real people they're not you know these imposters that have come in it's like i kind of like that that we're able to see you know who's authentic who's phony who's phony i mean it's, it's you know also kind of cool to be like oh my god there they are and then they, they are. And then with their fancy you know rolexes that you know get them out of trouble <laughs> yeah and roddy piper going around kicking ass chewing bubble gum taking names i'll and... get names later but i'm gonna chew some bubble gum right now yeah and then he get, but it's the thing where the first half is great and yeah. the second half is good. It's just sloppy because yeah. because like okay, Frank and Nada they go to the like the headquarters, the people who make the glasses, mm-hmm. and while there, Meg Foster's character Holly, who I just realized we didn't mention her, but. She's in two scenes before this. Yeah, he, um... Kid- kidnaps a woman to, like, get him away from the bank he just shot up full of aliens, right? Uh, yeah, but also I think what's kind of creative with that scene is we see her from the back for the first time and she's dressed, you know, very nicely. So you assume she's one of them. And then she turns and looks at him and like, oh no, she's not. You know, we can't, you know, here we are lumping her in with the other wealthy people of this movie who are the imposters. And it's like, oh, okay, we can trust her. And he kidnaps her, and then she's the reason why he gets, you know, thrown out of a, a window. Third story window. And then, you know, down a hillside. But you're like, but, you know, we could see her face, so she's good. Until we figure out she's an imposter too, damn it. She's, she is another one of the sellouts. And that's the thing. They get to the meeting. Holly finds them. She plays along with Piper and David. Or Nada and Frank. Yeah. I keep switching between their character name and actor. It and happens. It, yeah. And then they get attacked by the police. And then, coincidentally, they are able to get one of the teleportation watches to work. And it transports them directly to the one satellite that's beaming the subliminal messages around the world. And, and that's at this TV station that Holly happens to work at mm-hmm. where they run into her. Where she just so happens to be armed and kills Frank and kills Piper right before he and right after he blows up everything, which saves the day. But it's I a, mean, can can we discuss that we see the soldiers that are you know protecting the tunnels of you know this other world, and they've got the prop from Ghostbusters. Yeah, it is I, literally like the, what is the ecto detector or whatever it is. It's something. I, I wanted to say EKG, but that's for your heart. But uh, it, it's something. It you know if you see it, it's you know it basically detects the ghosts. And I'm like, you guys didn't even like try to like doc- hide the prop. We'll, we'll doctor it up. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, that's Ghostbusters. And then I went and looked on you know IMDb, and they're like. Oh yeah, they used, you know, this prop from Ghostbusters and made it, you know, very obvious that that is the prop from Ghostbusters. I was just like it that's the thing with like these John Carpenter movies is he'll he'll use anything at hand. He's scrap he's a scrappy filmmaker. I was just like are we getting ghost snacks? Are are the tunnels haunted? No, the aliens are ghosts. That's why they look like skulls, right? Maybe cuz I was thinking, you know, once the um what was it the the port that opened up and they jumped into it. I was like, okay, like you gotta, you know, put in the Super Mario music when they go like into the tunnels. And I'm like, are we gonna get King Boo at the the end of the tunnel? Is that who like the the main villain of the movie really is? Oh god, the main boss. That would be interesting. It's it's the thing where the second half of the movie just feels really loose. It feels like yeah. like oh fuck, I can only bring this in at like ninety minutes. Uh, I got, like, another, like, 45 pages. Okay, I'll cut 15 pages out and we'll just kind of, like, smooth it together. It just feels like there's, like, 15 minutes missing from the last half of the movie. That it doesn't make it bad. The movie's not bad. It's very good. It's very fun. Yeah. It's just 
man, that's like the one flaw is the second half or like that third act just feels rushed. Yeah, a little goofy too. Yeah. Because I mean, I was hoping oh, once... With, um, the George Buckflower guy explaining the whole plot of the movie? Well, not only him, but like once we walk into the banquet scene, you know, everyone looks human. I, I expected because they're wearing the contacts. I thought we were going to see everybody, just a sea full of people as they are, you know, the the true aliens, but it's like, you know, you've got the one guy being the alien, so it makes sense they can't do a whole room full of them. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it was just kind of like, okay, we've kind of take taken a, a different turn than the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. Let's see where it goes from here. Yeah, and it's like, I'm not angry at it, I'm not mad at it, it's just... Man, you could you could have kept going around with this. I mean, I am angry that Holly takes out Frank. Well, yeah, again, that that feels like shit. I need to get Frank out of the movie so it can just be Piper at the end. Well, Holly comes back. That that's what it feels like. It feels like shit. I need to tie up this whole movie in a neat bow to get the final shot I want. I guess we're going to have to shoot through it. And that's like that that happens but sometimes. Justice you, for Frank, you know. though, you know, he's just like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll clear the hallway for you, make sure no one's coming, and then just, boom, he's down. Like, what? Oh man, that's. <laughs> I was like, no, it's, you know, it's out of nowhere, I'll give you no that. goodbye or anything. Just you know, gun to the temple, and he's gone for good. It's just like. He didn't Whoa. even get an effect shot. It just flashes to white. Yeah, I was just like, come on now. I noticed that. Like, all the gunfire and all, like, the action bits, there's, like, no blood in this movie. Except no. for, except for like, after the fight where they're, like, beat up and bloody. Yeah. But there's no, like, oh, Piper just shot that guy with a shotgun. There's no, like, blood scripts. He just, it's like an old western. He, he was like, ugh, and, like, falls to the ground. Or is it supposed to be because they're aliens? They don't. Bleed. They don't bleed the way that we would? I don't know. That's what I was trying to figure out. I'm like, is this, like, you know, part of this character's characteristics? Or is this just, you know, oh, okay, well, let's not worry about having to do, like, blood splatter or, you know, fake blood or anything like that. I guess that gets to the other thing about They Live. What's in the movie that you think doesn't work like you don't like is it just that that ending bit where it feels a little sloppy or is there anything else in the movie you think is is keeping it from being in that like no i, I think canter, it's just, ca uh carpenter masterpieces no I, I think it's just that ending part where it's like the first and the middle half of the movie were really tight and then it felt like we kind of got like another movie kind of you know meshed in there where it's just like Really strong movie, and then action movie. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, you know, a little bit of your strength that you had just kind of seeped away, and we have, like, you know, action hero status, you know, okay, we're running, we're stealing guns, you know. And suddenly, you know, uh, Nada and Frank are, like, sharpshooters, and they're always on, and they're, like, going through this office building like they're John McClane and Die Hard. Yeah. And, yeah. It, it's a thing where it's like, it feels like the real guy aspect got put away for the action hero aspect, but it's still a bombastic ending. I really, I like the, the final shot in the movie where it's like, it's the girl and she's like riding the guy after the, the satellite's mm -hmm. been gone. And he's like, what baby, what's wrong? And it's the alien. And then she like, ah, cuts the black and credits. I just think that's such a funny gag to go out on oh no I, mine was uh the news where both the newscasters and everyone's just like what was it one person in the back like oh my god you look horrible yeah and she's like well, what do you mean and then you know people are out you know at restaurants at bars and they're, they're starting to look and be like oh my god what are you sitting or, next to me or the obvious <laughs> um siskel and ebert swipe where they're talking about shitty Horror movies and violence in cinema. George Romero, John Carpenter. Yeah, I, I love that part. I was like, oh, I caught that. I was like, that's great. Oh, I'm like, leave it to John Carpenter to make fun of himself in yeah. one of his movies. Well, he's he's making fun of uh, Siskel and Eber because they like hate it. Oh yeah, almost all of his movies. But he's like, you know what? 
I'll leave that meme in there. Just just a little meme. Just a little meme. Ahead of his time, he's like, I understand the meme. Someday soon the kids will know what the memes are. Ugh. Oh. Okay. On that, I want to talk about John Carpenter's, you know, career after They Live. But before we do that, final thoughts on They Live. Well, I'm surprised you didn't talk about, you know, the ending with uh, uh, with John. With Nada. Oh, the, the, his final middle finger to the audience being like, hey, aliens, fuck you too. I, uh, I love it because, you know, Nada, he dies. It goes into that kind of bleak ending, you know, the dark ending Carpenter likes. But it's still a happy, because he wins. He yeah, wins, yeah, yeah. he dies, but humanity... They got one. And but I like that. I, I read a, an interview with him where he's talking. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, I kind of regretted that last scene where, you know, I flip off the aliens on the camera. He's like, yeah, I, I wish when I was, you know, filming it, I had a much stronger middle finger. So those aliens knew to fuck off. And I was <laughs> just like, thank you. Thank you, Rowdy Roddy. Rowdy like, Roddy Piper. He's the best. He, he really is. And like, he did a lot of work after this and like, but he never got the chance to be, like, the breakthrough leading man kind of thing. Yeah. Like, that never happened until, like, The Rock. The Rock was the one who actually broke through and became, like, a movie star mm-hmm. and proved wrestlers could do it. But, like, man, I feel like Roddy Piper was, like, he was almost there. Yeah. He could have gone, like, legitimate actor status and, like, made it work. But that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, they live... Uh, I'm a two thumbs up on this one. I think it really is part of the Carpenter canon of great films. I think this is this is one of his like best films. It has one of the best messaging. It has probably like some of the strongest action beats, the strongest scenes. It's it's one of the great ones for him. Ditto. And two thumbs up for me too. <laughs> but yeah, so that was They Live and you know, before we wrap up, John Carpenter's career. Yes. Because this is John Carpenter month. We talked about his, his oeuvre of the 1980s. His like, you know, basically his greatest hits. Breaking out the $10 words. I'm trying my best. So we did Assault on Precinct 13. Yes. Escape from New York. The Thing. Starman. They Live. All right. Those were our five movies of the month. And thoughts on the run. On his, you know... His this half of his nineteen eighties collection. I really enjoyed it. There were some that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I really enjoyed the run. I missed all the other movies that were part of this initial run. Just we didn't have time to do everything. Yeah, if we but wanted to, this would be like a two or three month long podcast. Probably three month series. But yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Just you know. He didn't need more proof that he's a great director. Mm -hmm. I didn't need more proof that he's a great director. But it's just, you just watch more and more of his films, especially ones you've never seen. You're like, he has so much talent. It is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, he had, like, even if you were, like, super stringent about it, and Mm -hmm. you're like, I only count Halloween up, that's still, like, that's ten movies that are immaculate Mm -hmm. like i don't think any other director has a run this strong yeah when the worst when the worst movie objectively in your run is christine that's a pretty good bar well i mean considering the worst in his run was the thing for a while and then you can't talk about the thing now without you know people just jumping up you know i love the thing oh it's my favorite movie oh it's a masterpiece oh that's the last (laughs) That's the great Lovecraftian horror film. That's the last great horror film. Exactly. That is the greatest 80s horror film. Like, that movie got got reclaimed and reclaimed hard. And that's kind of the story of Carpenter's career. Hmm. For every movie that missed at the box office or missed with the critics, or all of the movies of this, gen- of this decade that missed, by the end of that decade, they had all been reclaimed by the fans as, no, no, these are great movies. Yeah. Every last one of them. Big Trouble in Little China, giant flop. Carpenter was like, I am done with the studio system. I can't do it anymore. It's too much bullshit. And 10 years later, he, or 10, 20 years later, he's vilified. They're like, no, no, no. You didn't make a bad movie. You made a movie so far ahead of its time that we needed 
two decades to realize it. Yeah. The Thing. Yeah, everyone said it was a bomb with the critics. It was a bomb at the box office. Everyone said it was the worst film ever made. And again, 10, 15, 20 years later down the line, it has been reclaimed as a masterpiece. It is on the level of Halloween, The Exorcist, mm-hmm. Texas Massacre, with some of the greatest horror films ever made. It's in the league with them. Almost, almost all of them. And I feel like, man, his he was so good in the 80s. And then the 90s happened. Is this, this is where it gets a little sad? I'm only going to mention it briefly, because uh, I want to be holistic here. Because, a little bit, a little bit. A little bit. Because here, here's the thing. John Carpenter, he does some of the greatest films of the 1980s, some of the best films ever. He goes into the 90s, and he gets, you know, taken by the Chevy Chase with Memoirs of an Invisible Man. That's the movie that broke him. It's his first objectively bad movie. Because hmm. everyone wanted Chevy to make a comedy. Chevy wanted to make a drama. And they couldn't commit to either one. So... Ended up pretty bad. And after that, you get, like, uh, vampires. You get Ghosts of Mars. You get some, like, Village of the Damned. Which, you get a lot of movies that are, like, man, these are kind of mediocre to not really good anymore. Like, what what's going on, John? And it's, it's kind of the thing where I think Carpenter realized that he couldn't make the movies he wanted to anymore. Because every time he did... He got bit in the ass. And I think he started doing a lot more movies that he thought were safe career choices and financial choices that just didn't hold up all that well. Like, I mean, Escape from L.A., you would think, oh, that's the John Carpenter project. No, that was a Kurt Russell thing he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And have you ever seen Escape from L.A.? No. It uses a lot of very bad 1994 CGI. Yeah. Mm. It also wastes Bruce Campbell, which, how do you waste Bruce Campbell in a movie? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and, like, that's, and that's, like, the thing, because Carpenter's last movie is The Ward from, like, 2016. Yeah, another. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing about The Ward, because when it came out, it was like, oh, this is a fun ghost story, but it's, like, it's got Amber Heard in it, though. She can't act, even well, in a horror movie. Well, that's well, that's the problem. Like, at this point now, it has become a tainted film because of, you know, the Heard-Depp trial thing. And it's like, you know, because there's a, a group of people that are just like, I'll never watch an Amber Heard movie again. Well, I mean, I watched a couple of clips of it just to see, you know, okay. Can, like, does the carpenter shine through? Can he still direct a movie? Well, not that. It's just, you know, can she pull this off? And it's just like... No, she can't. It's like, I've seen clips of other movies, and it's just bad. So it's like, I feel like, you know, maybe if they had casted somebody else, it would have done a little bit better, but it's just like, bro, you just, Amber, you stunk it up. Jesus. Well, but that's the thing. Like, at this point, because Carpenter, I don't think he's, he even wants to go back to making movies anymore, because he's having fun, like, playing his music, going on tour with his band, like, Well, I mean, he's also doing comic books, too. Yeah, yeah, he does comic book, um, like, he pairs up with people to do comic book, um, writing, and he does a lot, he does a lot of stuff now. I Mm -hmm. think it's a thing where, I think he finally said, fuck it, and he's like, I don't want to make movies anymore because they're so fucking difficult. Every time I made a movie for me, it bombed. Every time I tried to make something smart, they called me an idiot. Every time I tried to make something fun, they said I was, uh, they said I was, um... A cynical, a cynical jerk. It felt, it feels like John Carpenter had pushed back his entire career. And he's finally like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm done. Yeah, but also, at the end of the day, John Carpenter is a king. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we learn about him in, you know, film education classes. He is, you know, one of the, you know, of this era, this decade, you know. He is one of the most renowned directors because he has just put out banger after banger after banger. That's the thing. It's because so many of those, like, those 90s independent cinema guys that came up, the Kevin Smiths, Tarantinos, Mm -hmm. Rodriguez's, they're all, they worship at the altar of John Carpenter. Yeah. Jordan Peele, somebody said, Jordan Peele, you're, like, the best horror director ever. You're the master. And he said, I will not take 
this John Carpenter no. blasphemy to, in the face. Because even Jordan Peele is like, I worship at the altar of Carpenter. Exactly. Like, anybody making horror films now, I feel like they owe some debt to Carpenter. Absolutely. I mean, let alone the people that travel to go to the Michael Myers house. Mm-hmm. You're not going to meet anybody there. You're not going to see anybody there. It is just... A building that, you know, houses a couple of other businesses. But because of, you know, John Carpenter's work, people will travel to visit. He built it, and they are still coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he'd had his field of dreams with a a man in a white mask and a butcher knife. Yeah, but, you know, that's the genius of John Carpenter. You know, he made a costume scary, and not in the traditional sense, in a, you know... This person is relentless and will keep coming after me. He made a car scary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he made uh, a research team out in the middle of nowhere even more terrifying. He is, he's one of these guys that, and it really sucks because Carpenter was is at his best when he is, is working, ag- is working against something. He's at his best when, He's like short on cash when the budget's dirt low and he has to be scrappy and has to scrounge around and he has to like really work for it. Isn't that a quote? Isn't that a quote from Starman when he says that that's the most beautiful thing about human beings? They are the best when they are, you know, they have their back against the wall. When they're at, they, you are at your best when things are at their worst. And that, that's Carpenter. He's at his best when things are at their worst. When he looks out onto society and he's like, things are bad. And he makes a movie that is so poignant that it's still talked about today, has been called prophetic, has been called more relevant than than it was when it was made. He makes They Live, a movie that everyone said, this is the dumbest, vapid action film I've ever seen. It has no substance. And he's like, I literally <laughs> made a movie that for 30 years has been has been the most relevant piece mm-hmm. done on our society. Really. And it's like, and if you don't realize that, maybe you're one of the imposters. You're the one, you're one of the sellouts. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is the beauty of the John Carpenter canon, of the John Carpenter oeuvre, to bring out another $10 word. Praise be John Carpenter, we love you. But that wraps up John Carpenter month. His 80s were great, his 90s were mediocre, his 2000s are non-existent. But that is the last episode of John Carpenter's miniseries. What are we doing next week, well, next month? Well, well, before we jump on to that, usually with these roundups, we pick our favorite film of the roundup because some of them were new to us. Oh, I think only one true. was new to you. Uh, yeah, Starman was the only new film for me, and it, it's jumped up on my Carpenter canon. I really like that movie. So... Since this is your month, what was your favorite film? I know you've seen most of these. I know what your favorite John Carpenter movie is. But maybe one of these kind of, you know, shown a little bit brighter this month. Um, Again, The Thing is my favorite John Carpenter movie. It, I think it's the best movie he ever directed. I think it's a masterpiece. It is a wonderful, amazing, perfect film. Um, but for the month, doing a rewatch on a lot of these that I haven't seen in a long time. And seeing, you know, a movie that's new. I think the one that surprised me the most, that I thought was so good, that I, I liked a whole hell of a lot, was honestly Starman. Mm-hmm. Like, I was so surprised at how good that was. That was the most surprising one. So if I can't pick the thing, I'd pick, like, Starman as my favorite of the month. If I couldn't pick the thing. Okay. What, what about you? Well, I mean, we started off really strong with Assault on Precinct 13. It was my first time seeing it, and just the the feeling of uh, Night of the Living Dead, but in a, a real sense, I was like, okay, this is just fucking awesome. And then Napoleon, I was like, oh my god, cool hand Luke. There's just so much going on. I fell in love with that movie. And then we got to Starman, and I was like, wow, you just really ripped the emotions out of me. And, I mean, if you can make me feel, I'm sold. So, I gotta pick Starman, because, I mean, that was just a beautiful story. Just tore my heart out. <laughs> that, I I like that. I Because Starman is one of those movies where I think 
that is one of the movies of Carpenter's run that I think so many people forgot about. Yeah, because, I mean, when you, you brought it up when we were doing the scheduling, I was kind of like, all right, like, sci-fi romance, okay, whatever. And then it was just like, no, it's so deep. And, you know, just broke my heart. I was like, and oh, my Karen God. Karen Allen is so good. And Jeff she Bridges deserved is an so Oscar good. nomination. They're so good in that movie. And it's a thing where... I really, it's really surprising how that's, that's one of the, that's the movie that slipped through the cracks of time. Yeah. The, his arguably most successful film, nominated for an Oscar, mm-hmm. played on TV for years. That's the one that all the fanboys, like, left behind. Yeah. They took all the ones that flopped, but left the one successful one. It's like, no, come back, pick this one up, lift it onto your shoulders, because it's an amazing movie. Ugh. <sighs> But so yeah, that would be my my pick. If I can't pick Halloween, I will pick Starman for this month. Of course, of course. Oh. So now, as I was saying, what's next month? Next month means new theme. Next week, we're starting October. The best month is finally here. We did it. We survived, which means that next month will be Monstober. And I am so excited. I've been waiting to do this month for months or... <laughs> Since the beginning of the year, whenever we planned this out, I'm so excited. And we're going to be starting with a film that is near and dear to my heart that's fairly new. I saw this, I think, maybe before the pandemic. So it hasn't been with me for a long time. I mean, before the pandemic was like four years ago. Three, four years ago. But I mean, it's not something I've been watching since childhood. So I can Mm. remember watching this for the first time. And I know you haven't seen this movie before. I, I actually forgot what movie this is. We're going to be watching The Monster Squad. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah, I've never seen The Monster Squad before. I have no context as to what the movie is. I know it's a kid's movie, and it's a comedy. And I know there's a line, Wolfman's got nards. Wolfman's got nards, man. I, yeah, that's the only line in the movie. So I know it's like a an 80s comedy. That That's even the name of the documentary about this movie. Oh, and, and the the cult status, because this movie... You know, at the time was kind of like, oh, whatever. It's, you know, a bunch of kids that like, you know, monsters. And it, it took a while and it's become a cult film that people have just rallied behind and picked it up and you're like, we love you. <laughs> so I love it. And we're going to be talking about the Monster Squad next week. <sighs> well, if they wanted to listen to that and keep up with it, where can they go? Well, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we're also on YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube. We upload new videos every week. Uh, there are video versions of this podcast. Uh, like, comment, subscribe. Check out some of our back catalog. I believe when this episode drops, we should be releasing all of our Texas Chainsaw Massacre episodes. So go and check those out. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at The Film Club Podcast, where we post daily stories, adventures, trivia upcoming episodes and a ton more and with that we'll see you next week at the film club have a good week everybody